It says, fight me, coward, and it's a raccoon holding a knife. Hello, everyone. Hey! 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 Not cool. I just want you to know. Not cool. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting for you. Okay. Start the podcast. Okay, okay. But tell me about- <laughs> okay, get out of here. Okay, I promise I won't interrupt you this time. If you do, I'm standing up from this couch. I'm going to come over and smack you on the head. Okay. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> Why'd you hesitate? Because I was trying to throw you off. But before I could start, you... <laughs> interrupted me. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what? I threw you off. Maybe I need to come to the podcast. No, 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 no. This is all your fault, okay? Because you were messing with me. Okay, you're really good at fixing my problems, so. That's true. All right, let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Thanks for Participating, your favorite podcast hosted by me, Sydney, and my husband, Josh. That's me. Yes. And for those of you whose first time this is listening... I, you know what? Every first time this is listening. You know, every time we get to like the breakdown of the podcast in like one sentence, I just like always struggle like every single time. But for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, this is the podcast where I introduce something new to Josh or vice versa. And we experience it together because we are married and we want to have new experiences and share the things that we love with each other. And sometimes we'll record an episode on something that we try for the first time together that neither of us have done before, like today's episode, which is on a movie that neither of us had seen before until we watched it together. And you know what? It's one of my top favorite movies of all time. Like, this was a great movie. So we watched it again because it was such a great movie. This is... Okay, first, we... When did this movie come out? Oh, I don't know. Like, six... It was like summer of last year or something? Yeah. Eight. Let me look it up. Look it up. Okay. So, in case you're listening and you didn't see the episode title... On your podcast app, for some reason, we will be covering everything everywhere all at once. Now, this was a movie that we had heard just nothing but positive reviews on ever since it came out last year. Um, and I've been begging Sydney to go see it with me when it was still in theaters, um, when it came to streaming. And for some reason, she was just a grumpy grouch and said, I have zero interest in seeing that movie. Okay, that's not true. You know I'm a sucker for anything that involves Chinese culture. <laughs> Also, it came out May 8th of last year, so it's been out for a whole year. That's what I thought. I thought it was like, it was one of the first movies of the summer. Okay. Um, But then we for sure wanted to watch it before the Oscars. We actually wanted to watch all of the Best Picture nominations before the Oscars came out, and we were going to do it on the podcast. But Sydney decided to be a hermit for the last three months. And this is actually the first time that I'm seeing her because she just finished her last (laughs) final exam of the semester. And so I said, first thing you do when you crawl out of your hole, we're going to record a podcast. Okay. Well, in my defense, this uh, year I started a new program at school that is notoriously difficult and they make it hard on purpose. And so it was a hard year, but I have survived. Oh, that's that's distasteful. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. Someone in the program died this year and it was really sad. Like... It, it was really sad. Like, he was gone way too early. and But I, I never met the guy. Then my friend may, is throwing a party, 
and he passed around these flyers to everyone that said, hashtag you survived in like giant letters, which normally would be like totally fine. But in light of the current situation, it was also a little distasteful, but he didn't like think about it until he had passed them out to everyone. And now he's so horrified and I think it's so funny. (laughs) Okay. So we were going to watch all of the Best Picture nominations before the Oscars and do podcast episodes on them, but our whole schedule got thrown off and we haven't released an episode since February, but we did watch this movie before the Oscars in March, specifically for the podcast. And then we've watched it, what, twice since then? Yeah, something like that. I just, I adore this movie so much. And it's one of those that I could watch over and over and over again. Uh, So let's just, let's just jump into it. What... Are your just first thoughts that you want to get off your chest about this movie? Oh, man. Like, I just don't know how to vocalize how much I love this movie. Like, it is just so well done. It's hilarious. It is heartwarming. And Kiwi Kwan was so good in it. Like, he does such a good job of, like, playing the action star, but also, like, just playing the super naive, like, cute little asian man that's just like so sweet i love that his name is waymond yes that's like i don't know like like they'll do that like like um waymond where it's just like a normal american name but they change like one letter or something so it's different right and you know part of that is like you come to a new country and you just don't know how to pick a name you know Mm mm-hmm and it's like really hard, you know, because like I had to pick a Chinese name too, and I ended up asking a couple, a, Ch- a Taiwanese couple to pick it for me, and they did a great job. What's your I Chinese think. name? Um, Sini. How am I? How do I? Is that the first time you ever told me? No. I swear I didn't. I swear I did not know that. We. I have known you since. How long have I known you? Five years. Six years. We met in twenty eighteen. Has it really? That's five years. Yes. And we have been married for almost three years. Like, yeah. And I never knew your Chinese name in the whole time? I I guess not. I know your Chinese surname was Han. Mm-hmm. Han Guo de Han. Yeah. Cool. Do you know my Chinese name? Yeah. Li Jiaxun. Yeah. Li Jiaxun. My uh, Chinese teacher when I was... How old was I? Because I you had... To, in order to get a Chinese name at my junior high, you had to move past Chinese level one. So they didn't give any of the Chinese level one students... Chinese names, but once you, like, your first day of Chinese level two. So I would have been almost 14, because it was beginning of eighth grade. And my teacher's from Taiwan. And uh, it's funny, like, so the last name Li um, is, I think, the second or third most common um, surname in all of China. So it's just, like, if you're going to pick, like, a surname, like, Li is just, like, very normal. But um, a lot of the times um, when English names converted to chinese they're transliterated so they just take chinese syllables that represent the syllables in english that have no meaning like most chinese names have like each syllable has a meaning um so the names have a connotation behind them but when their english names transliterated those syllables don't represent anything other than the english sounds right like mine is a transliteration of sydney it's xin yi and han Right. Because your my maiden name, name is Hanson. Hanson. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is um, a lot of people would be really confused when they find out my last name is Rich, but then my Chinese last name was Lee because they're saying, well, where did the 
Lee doesn't sound anything like rich. But what's interesting is that that's actually very standard for transliterations from English that R words start, when you transliterate it, start with L. And especially R-I words start with Lee. Like, um, like for example, Roosevelt in Chinese is Luo. I think it's Luo Sifu. Yeah, but I think it's because, and maybe maybe it was just because I spent my time around... Um, like mostly Fujianese people, um, because in Fujian they do kind of switch their R's and their L's, but like, um, like when they speak English, they do that as well. Like what I noticed was like when they would say words that started that had an R in it, they'd use an L sound, and when they had words with an L in it, they'd use an R sound. And maybe yeah. maybe that was just like a Fujianese thing, because like I spent so many so much time around them, and I think that's kind of um. Like the Fujianese language. So I had a, I had a roommate who was from Hong Kong when I lived in a part of Queens in New York called Flushing. And an interesting thing I noticed is that um, the the Chinese transliterated word for Flushing was Fa La Sheng, and he could say Fa La Sheng, you know, no problem. But then if he tried to say Flushing, he would say Flushing with an R. And I would say. Like what? Like if you can say fa la sheng, like you can say that l after the f fa la sheng, just take out the a flushing, and he just for some reason that was very difficult for him. Yeah, it's like you guys have the sound down. Yeah, like it's like it's just coming out in weird places. Oh man, the the hardest like when I taught English classes, um, for um like e- ESL classes for Chinese people in New York, the the most difficult. Um, sound for them to produce hands down was v because that v like that like vibrating like your lip on your tooth just doesn't exist any in any chinese dialect and so like they would um just skip it so like when i teach them like say volleyball they'd say volleyball but yeah so roosevelt is luo si fu and like russell is luo su with an l luo su and so f- for some reason, just that's kind of standard when you're transliterating from English to Chinese. I don't really know why, because there's also R, um, like R is like a, a normal consonant, like starting consonant in. Right. Um, and there's also last names that start with R. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's just kind of the standard um, for transliteration is that R words start with an L when you transliterate them. But nobody understood that. Not even like um, Chinese, like uh white people didn't understand it and chinese people got confused too the only people that know that are people who constantly do translations that they know that that's the standard yeah i don't know i feel like i picked up on it but then yeah jashwin is like josh. yeah it's a transliteration of joshua or josh and um but it's also i've heard that it's like jashwin is like like although it's a transliteration of josh like it wouldn't be unheard of for that to be someone's given name in China. So that's cool. Yeah, that was just like the thing. It's just like very nebulous to me, like what would be an accepted name. And so like I came up with one in high school and I was taking Chinese and I hated it. And then I went to New York and I just started like Googling Chinese names and like doing some research and stuff. And then I found one that I kind of liked that um, 
just kind of on like a list. And so then I told one of my Chinese friends and they just, or a couple of my Chinese friends and they just started like cracking up. And I was like, what? And they were like, that's like a grandma's name. Like, <laughs> like it would be like calling myself Ethel or something. Like, I don't know. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And that's when I just like asked like the Taiwanese couple or like the sweet older couple that like helped us out. And I was just like, please come up with a name for me. And they did. And I was like, this is great. I love it. And I've just been using it ever since. So Han Xin Yi. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, do you know how to say that in Cantonese? Nope. Um, my, I don't know specifically like what was so funny. Like, because, you know, people from China would tell me like, oh, Jia Xun, that's a very, you know, normal sounding name. Like a more normal sounding Chinese name. A lot. Like I've even like met people on WeChat and when I start talking to them, they didn't know that I was white at first because Li Jiaxun like was a like a convincing uh like passing Chinese like name. Um and so they were like shocked when they found out that like I wasn't actually Chinese. But for some reason that roommate, same roommate from Hong Kong, thought it was hilarious because Jiaxun, if you pronounce those characters in Cantonese, it's Gafan. And he thought that was so funny. And he would Every time he'd call me Gafan, he'd just like bust up laughing. So Li Jiaxun is Lei Gafan. And uh, he would call me Lapsap Gafan, which Lapsap in Cantonese is Laji, which means trash. And he would call me Trash Josh, Lapsap Gafan. That's so nice of him. <laughs> and then he would say that. And then I would ask him like, Gama Nama Mafan, which means like, why are you being so annoying? Like, what are you doing being so annoying? And then he thought that was so funny that he like made it a like a rap rhythm where he'd be like, lap sap gaffan, gamma nama mafan, lap sap gaffan, gamma nama mafan. <laughs> Which is funny because the first half, lap sap gaffan is Cantonese and then gamma nama mafan is Mandarin. Is Mandarin. Yeah. It's like, gamma, lao ge, ni zi su wo le, lao tie. Well, we've talked for like ten minutes now, just about like Chinese names. Well, I, I think I think it's fitting. Um, no, it totally is. I don't yeah. know, like one because this movie is a lot about like the Chinese like experience in America, like first, right. second generation um, immigrants, which we are not like qualified to like speak on that experience. That is not our lived experience. But also, it would be f it's I think fun to talk a little bit about. Um, Something that like our listeners might not know is that since our last episode that we released, my TikTok page has blown up because of videos I've posted speaking Chinese. Like I'm at almost 50,000 followers now where like in February I was at like 300, 400 and now I'm at like almost 50,000 because I started posting videos speaking Chinese and I feel like a lot we will probably have um, a higher listener um, rate on this episode. And a lot of them will be interested in, you know, Chinese content. So, yeah, I guess that's true. You're a Chinese influencer and apparently gay icon now. <laughs> the amount of thirst comments you get from gay men just oh, man. baffles me. I, I mean, it doesn't baffle me. I mean, like, you're hot, obviously. I get it. But, like... Like, she... The other day... I got a comment that was like daddy energy or something. And I was like, Sid, someone just commented daddy on my TikTok. And she was like, was it a man or a woman? And I was like, do you even need to ask that at this point? <laughs> it's, it's always the men. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, are you giving off gay vibes or something? 
I don't know. Am I the girl on TikTok that everyone's talking about when they're like, when you live in Utah and like, um, when you live in Utah and you see a girl that's married and it's like the denial is a river in Egypt. Your husband is gay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, is that me? (laughs) Okay. Let's jump back to the movie. Okay. Okay. Um, do you have any like initial thoughts? My, my thoughts is just like, I love the cast of this movie so much. Like, like there you can talk about like the the story the like the editing uh like how many oscars did this win it won like best best picture best picture best sc- best actress screenplay best actress best, best supporting, supporting actress actor. best supporting actor yeah that's at least like 5 that we can I know think of. it got best editing i think um best directors but like you can talk about all of that but like for me one of the greatest things is just like there isn't a single actor that like when they're on screen doesn't instantly make you smile by like what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. I I'm look sorry, I'm looking up how many Oscars they got. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Kiwi Kwan, I think is just like um him and Michelle Yeoh are like the standout performances, especially Kiwi Kwan, like his comeback into Hollywood is just like they're going to make a movie about Kiwi Kwan coming back to do his role in everything ever all at once from being a child actor to quitting acting because of how hard it was to be one of the only Asian actors in Hollywood at the time to finally coming back and having this Asian story being told in the best way possible and winning best picture and him winning his Oscar. Like that alone is going to be a story that's going to be told on the big screen. Yeah. Cause it's like super wild too, that he had like two super huge roles in the Goonies and Indiana Jones. And then he just didn't have work for years and years and years. Now he's in like, he his... was also in Encino man with Brendan Fraser. Um, not long after that, he was still really young. I've never heard of that. I mean, it's probably just a me having my sort of deal, but like, yeah, I guess. He was in that, but then, like, you know, there were decades of, like, nothing from him where he just, like, couldn't break into Hollywood, and then he was about to give up and, like, got that one last role and then got an Oscar, and speaking of Oscars, this movie won seven. Okay, how? what are they? Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actor, oh, Best Supporting Actor, sorry, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Awesome. I mean, the editing was incredible, though, like... The way um, Joe Butapaki just like like rotated through all the outfits and what's crazy is that this movie like I heard that the, all the editing and effects were done by like one team of like what nine people yeah something where, crazy like that like and it was just flawless flawless effects and then you compare that to you know huge huge studios like Marvel where they hire out entire sfx companies and each company just does the effects for a portion of the movie and so it's like they and you like watch like the special effects like names on in the credits and they're just miles long whereas this movie just had nine people or or something like ridiculous like that and just blew marvel effects out of the water for like the last year yeah it was I mean, this is a very editing-heavy movie, and the fact that only nine people did that is incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I want to like look up this fact just to make sure I'm not um, spouting misinformation, but James Hong, 
I I heard that he has the most credits, like acting credits on IMDb. Really? Oh, that's the the grandpa guy, right? Yes. He was really good in it. He's really funny in it. Okay, on his Wikipedia, it says he has more than 650 film and television credits as of 2022, making him one of the most prolific actors of all time. I don't know if it means he is he has the most. Um, oh, wait. The Man of a Thousand Voices, Mel Blanc, is regarded as the one who's racked up the most acting credit, but he's a voice actor. So he has over 1,200. Um, but yeah, James Hong has 650. And... Isn't he almost a hundred? Yeah, he's ninety, like four or something. Like he was born in nineteen twenty nine. So what does that make him? Ninety four? Um, maybe. Yeah, age ninety four. That that is so wild, and the fact that he's still working—that's crazy. Yeah, like I I watched an interview of him talking about what it was like being an Asian actor in the thirties and forties as a really young guy, just being the most like token Asian character and getting all of the like yellow face stereo stereo is stereotism a word stereo stereotype stereotypism <laughs> um yeah. and know. he was he was saying that like at the time he knew how like obviously like he was aware of like how problematic like this casting and like writing and stuff was and he but for him taking those roles was better than not working yeah, because it's either him or Mickey Rooney. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just have and, a white guy do it. And he was he said that he was just like hoping and praying that someday it would get better for Asian actors. And he's just like, it's taken me till I was 94 years old, but it's finally gotten better. I don't think we've like done a brief summary of this movie for like people that have never seen it. If you haven't seen it, I don't think you should be listening to this. <laughs> Go watch it and then come back and listen to this. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we should do like at least a brief summary though. Okay, sure. Okay. So, this movie is about a couple that owns a laundromat and their relationship with their daughter and they're getting audited for their laundromat and they have to go in to um like they have to go into work with their IRS agent and there is like an inter uh an inter like oh man, like a Dimensional? Yeah, interdimensional conflict going on, and there's this, uh, like, being that's, like, destroying universes and is coming for the, for Evelyn, who's, like, the, uh, wife in the couple. And so, um, it's just kind of this interdimensional war, um, but it ties in a lot with, like, her family relationships, and especially, like, her relationship with her daughter, who's gay, and is something that was like hard for her to accept and it's just like a very very good story but also hilarious and just brilliant the way they told it i, f I feel like that was a pretty good like spoiler free review or spoiler free summary do you, do you feel like I, I got it all you missed the part where at the end they say girlfriend in cantonese which is like Lu Peng Yao. Lu Peng Yao. i don't know my cantonese is not great but for some reason, every time at the end where uh, Evelyn is introducing, um, what's Joe Butabaki's actual name? That That's a spoiler, babe. But like, I thought we did the spoiler free thing and then, okay, now spoilers from here on out. Yes. Okay. What's Joe Butabaki's actual name? Um, gosh, now that I'm like blinking on it now. Stephanie Shu. 
that is her actual name. No, not the actress. No, I know. I'm just joking because I can't remember her name. Um, Joy. Joy, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, Evelyn was introducing Joy's girlfriend to the grandpa. And in Mandarin, it's Nu Pengyo. But the grandpa speaks Cantonese. And she's... And Nu Pengyo in Cantonese is like... Lu, lao, lo, pengyao or something. I don't know. Yeah. My sister can correct me. My sister is living in Hong Kong right now. And she... Will probably have way better Cantonese than me. So oh, she'll definitely have way better Cantonese because you don't really speak Cantonese. Yes, I do. Lap sap gaffen. Oh my gosh, we all can say lap sap. We thought that was hilarious. Lap sap is just a perfect word for garbage. It really is. Like Cantonese nailed it. Like it's funny. It's perfect. It just encompasses trash. Really. All right, listener. If you want to call someone trash behind their back without knowing. Calling them lapsap is perfect. I don't know. I don't even know if that works as like an insult in Cantonese. If you can, if calling a person lapsap is the same as calling a person trash in English. I mean, I don't think trash has positive connotations in any language, to be fair. I know in Taiwan, they don't say la ji. They say le se, which I think sounds worse. I don't think le se is a good word no. for garbage. Lapsap. And Laji is like. Laji's all right. Laji's okay. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound great, but Lapsap is perfect. Phenomenal. Yes. S tier. S tier word. <laughs> if you want to know any word in Cantonese, Lapsap is the word you should know. That's true. Take it from us, non Cantonese speakers. I also know Bingoa, which is like how you say who, I think. <laughs> like Bingo Lai is like, who is it? All right. <laughs> like Okay, here's the thing though. Cantonese is harder than Mandarin. Like Mandarin has four tones and you think that's bad enough. Cantonese has nine. Ma Oh, and I, I used to know them. I used to could say like the like ma 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 ma. And like Cantonese too, it has like a written language and then like a spoken language. And the spoken language is full of a lot of slang and stuff. And the written language I think is more similar to Mandarin. And so you basically kind of have to learn two languages when you learn Cantonese. The, yeah, written Cantonese is the same as written Mandarin, except Cantonese uses traditional characters and mainland China uses simplified. Right. And they use like the Cantonese pronunciation. Right. They they would pronounce the characters differently. But then like other, like the fact that you pronounce the same written language with different syllables is different, but then also you would speak with different words and different grammar than you would like write. Right. So yeah, it's just way more complicated and I'm glad that I learned Mandarin instead. Because like here's the thing. I just I am not talented when it comes to learning languages and Mandarin was hard enough and I think if I'd like had to learn Cantonese it would have broken me. Yeah the four tones in Mandarin are ma 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 where it's like high flat High flat tone, and then rising tone, and then low tone, and then like falling tone. So ma, 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 ma. And then I am I think the tones in Cantonese is like, there's a high flat, and then a high rising, and then a mid flat, and then a low falling, and then just a low, like grumble tone, and then a low rising, and then like a low flat tone. So it's like ma, 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 ma. Ma, ma. That's a lot. Yeah. And then they also have, and that's only like, if you count, that's only seven. And that's because the other two are kind of neutral tones, 
based on like your final consonants where like they have final consonants like with k sounds or ng sounds that mandarin doesn't have and i think those somehow play into like the final two tones in a way i don't understand fully yeah i would love to learn more cantonese though it's just like a it's it's a much more fun sounding like language to speak yeah i guess more power to you (laughs) (laughs) mainly because i want to go to the hong kong disney at some point yeah we need to do that but we could go to the shanghai disney and they'll speak mandarin there true okay back to everything everywhere all at once (laughs) yeah this movie is just kind of or this uh podcast is just kind of turned into us speaking about uh Chinese. Come on, feel free. Join in anytime. I don't know this song. Okay, I'm done now. Okay, okay. Um, what was your favorite part of this movie? Um, my favorite part, Rakakuni. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where um she is explaining how, like the way in which there's the universe jumping, like that there's a there's a Waymond from a different universe. They call him Alpha Waymond. He keeps jumping into Evelyn's universe and possessing her husband Waymond's body, and then. Spoilers, the villain, Jobu Tabaki, possesses her daughter Joy's body. And so she's trying to explain that, like, you don't know where you are. You don't know what's happening. It's because there are other people that are, like, controlling you. And she tries to liken it to how in the movie Ratatouille, there's the rat, Remy, controlling Linguini's actions by, like, pulling on his hair. But she can't, she doesn't remember what the name of the movie is. So she says Rakakuni. But then, turns out, one of the universes that she jumps to there is a chef with a raccoon in his hair named Rakakuni. <laughs> yes, played by Harry Shum Jr. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. I, okay, my favorite part was when they first introduced the villain, Jobu Tapaki, and she, like, first inhabits Joy's body and then comes through into, like, the IRS office and has... That scene where, like, in the hallway where she's, like, walking down and, like, changing all those outfits and it's just completely unhinged. And, like, the reason why I like that is because I just think it is such a great um, encapsulation of, like, the talent that was put in this movie. Because there's, like, the editing team and, like, all the crazy editing going on when it's, like, every second they're just, like, new outfit, new outfit. And then Stephanie Hsu does such a great job of playing, like, the unhinged villain. Yeah, we we talked about how like it was weird that Jamie Lee Curtis got the 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 best actress win over Angela Bassett, which it's like, you know, say what you will about it, it's you know, good for Jamie Lee Curtis. It's weird that she got it over Angela Bassett, but like for me it's weirder that Jamie Lee Curtis got the best supporting actress nomination in the first place over Stephanie Hsu. Stephanie Hsu got nominated too though. For best supporting actress? Mhm. Oh. Yeah, they were both nominated, but what's weird to me is like, I mean, 
I, okay, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is a great actress, and I think she deserves an Oscar at, like, some point in her career. And I feel bad because everyone's just, like, been, like, hating on her for, like, getting this Oscar because they thought Angela Bassett, like, deserved it. But, like, this is her first Oscar nomination and win. Like, we should be happy for her because she did give, like, a very good performance. But it also, it it just is weird to me that she like, won it over Stephanie Hsu, even. Like, right. I never saw uh, Wakanda Forever, so, like, I can't really speak to Angela Bassett's performance in that movie, but, like, just looking at the supporting actresses from Everything Everywhere all at once, like, I would have chosen Stephanie Hsu to win over Jamie Lee Curtis, and it's not because I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis did a bad job. I just think Stephanie Hsu had a more demanding role that showcased more of her acting talents more than... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis did in that movie. Okay, deep question. Okay. What are your thoughts on hot dog fingers? Oh my gosh, I loved it. <laughs> Literally, that was so funny. Um, and, and just like the fact that like Evelyn and Deirdre are like together in that universe yeah. and she like flips out. But yeah, they have this one universe because they're like flipping through different universes and showing the different lives that like Evelyn has is living my goodness. Okay, they're showing the different lives that Evelyn is living, and in one of them, she has hot dog fingers. Like, everyone has hot dog fingers. And it's just, like, it's, like, weird, but charming and hilarious. Okay, this is a real deep question. What do you think the, like, message of the movie is? Um, I think, um, there's a couple of messages there. I think one is, like, um, being grateful for what you have. Um, because, so here's kind of like a spoiler, but they like are jumping around to these different universes. And in one of them, Evelyn is like this kung fu star who's also like a movie star, I think, or something. Um, I don't know. I guess I kind of got the impression that she was like the female Chinese Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. But um, she's just like very famous, has a lot of money, a lot of prestige, but she doesn't have any like personal relationships. And... um. Evelyn like jumps to that universe and she sees like she's on the red carpet and like everyone's taking pictures of her and she sees it and she's like oh why like this is what it because what happened was like Waymond asked her to marry him and then like move to America with him and she said yes but if she had said no this would have been her life and so she comes back and she's like talking to Waymond and Kihi Kwan is so cute in this moment where she's just like, I like marrying you was a mistake and stuff. And it just like broke my heart because like the acting was so good. But then later on, it shows that same universe. She runs into Kihi Kwan, um, who was like also rich and they talk kind of like old flames would and he turns to her and he's like, in another life, I would have loved to have done laundry and taxes with you, which is like what their life nowadays is. And it's right. and at the same time, um, like Evelyn is getting pulled away by her trainer who's like, you have to focus on like kung fu and like this is your life and this is all you can do. And I think it kind of shows that like that's the reason why she never had personal relationships was because she was focused so much on her career. And it just kind of you know, your life is different and maybe it doesn't have like the fame and the prestige 
that you would have had, but there are still like great things happening in your life that you miss out on if you go for that. So it's like being grateful for what you have. But I also think the other message kind of is about like those family relationships and like, yeah. Um, like I think especially with, um, American born Chinese, it can be, um, pretty strained because the cultural divide between like Chinese culture and like the idea of, like the family and the the um the obligations you have to the family and then coming to America where it's just like very strict individualism and um like it i from what i've heard american born chinese can kind of feel like they're being pulled in like two different directions and it's really hard for them to balance and the, i think like it shows stephanie shu kind of getting like caught in that situation but then also kind of Evelyn is at the same time learning to treat her daughter better and especially like um Stephanie Shu's character is gay and that's something that's like very hard for like Evelyn to accept um and so kind of her learning to accept that and love that and Stephanie Shu kind of figuring out her place in like the two worlds that she's caught between um was also kind of like another message of the film and just like learning to get through things together and coping with the pain instead of like trying to get rid of it. For me, I think there are two big messages and one is like touching on like those like family relationships, but it's like breaking the chain of intergenerational trauma. Yes, I think that's another and one. And like kind of the threefold like philosophy like battle between existentialism absurdism and nihilism and what's just what blows my mind is that these are like really really deep like subject matter like very deep philosophical dilemmas to tackle and the movie does it with a silly multiverse story like what's crazy is that like 2021 and 2022 were like the years of the multiverse story like even like Technically going into 2023 because Marvel's still doing like the multiverse saga. And the Flash. And DC's doing multiverse. Yeah. So it's just like multiverse stories are dominating um, Hollywood right now. But none of them are doing it as well and as tactfully and as creatively as poignantly. Yeah, yeah, as everything everywhere all at once. Like it is like the best multiverse story I think that will ever like be made. Oh, 100% hands down. Um. But like, so when I when I watched this movie the first time, it really reminded me of The Stranger by Albert Camus. Did you ever read that in school? No. Do you know what it's about? No. Um. So Albert Camus, I think he's either Algerian or French, but he he either was absurdist or was just writing the book from an absurdist point of view, where like absurdism is like the philosophy that just morality itself is irrational and that we live in a um in a neutral uncaring universe and that life has no purpose and any like any uh like attempt to find purpose is absurd right and so because of this the the main character of the stranger like is walking down the beach and is just like really annoyed at like like just really mundane things like the the sun is like beating down on him there's like someone like 
who was like laying in a lawn chair that was like speaking another language or something. But like, I don't remember exactly what it was because I read it when I was a junior or senior in high school. But he, he decides to shoot a guy and kill him that he didn't know for no reason other than life is absurd. I was annoyed. I can do what I want. And then like afterwards, he's like tried and like during the trial, like he gets sentenced to like death row and they ask him like what his last thoughts are. And, and but it's basically just like, I don't care. Like, whether I continue to live, whether I get put to death, like whether like I am murdered, like it doesn't matter. Like I life is what it is and I have no say in it that like the universe is the universe is neutral towards me. So why should I be anything but neutral towards my life? Which really reminded me of like how Jobu Tabaki kind of viewed. Yeah. So what like the movie like Alpha Waymond, when he's teaching Evelyn to verse jump, he's saying you have to be very careful and only go into one universe at a time and not for too long. And you have to go to like the closest universes. Otherwise, your brain will crack. And what will end up is you will experience every version of yourself at the same time, which is what Jobu Tabaki, what happened to her, is that that's why it's called Everything Everywhere All at Once, is because Jobu Tabaki got to a point where she was experiencing every like infinite version of herself in every universe. At the same time. Which is where that fantastic editing comes in. <laughs> right. And uh, and because of that, she realized that every, like, because every small decision you make branches off into um, an infinite possible dimensions, it doesn't matter what she does at any moment because because she's experiencing all of those infinite possibilities at once. And it just, like, takes the meaning out of every decision for her. Because then, like, she doesn't have to weigh the decisions that she has to make because she's experiencing all of them, like all of the possibilities, all of the consequences of her actions at the same time. And it just removes all meaning, all purpose, all morality. And so, and it drives her mad. And like, she realizes that like, she can't die because in one universe she dies. There's an infinite many universes where she lives and it gets to the point where she's ultimately suicidal. And she sees that the only way out is to create the bagel where it just sucks up all of the universes into nothingness, um, which is like uh, where like that nihilism comes from, which like nihilism is like um, it rejects. So nihilism, I just looked up the Wikipedia. Nihilism is a family of views within philosophy that rejects truth, knowledge, morality, values, and meaning. Um, human values are baseless. Life is meaningless. Knowledge is impossible. Just stuff like that. And it's just like life because life is meaningless. It's not worth living. And and not only does she, she want to be sucked up in, into oblivion to be erased from existence, but she wants that for everybody, or so it seems. And then Evelyn becomes like Jobu Tabaki, where she's experiencing everything everywhere all at once and finds out that deep down, Jobu Tabaki really just wanted someone like to like experience existence in the same way that she did so that she wasn't alone. Yeah. I I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. And then like trying to understand like the like the resolution behind like that absurdism nihilism is very difficult and it's just something that I feel like I'm not smart enough to write and like write the essay on, you know? Right. Um I found a really cool article called like everything everywhere all at once um a cure for nihilism, which I definitely want to read. Maybe I'll like um put that in like the show notes for, of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like it, like the 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 climax of the movie sidestepped like 
fixing the problem, like fixing Jobu Tabaki's problem and fixing Joy's problem. And Evelyn was just like, I like there's no like one solution towards these intense feelings and struggles that you're having. But I just want to be there like I'm not like I just want to be with you. And if you don't want to be with me, that's okay. Like if you want to go your own way, that's okay. But I'm still going to fight to like be in your life. And so it, it seemed like like even though the universe big picture might be devoid of meaning on a on a smaller local scale, we derive meaning from those interpersonal relationships. Right. That the love and that the love we have for those around us and the moments and memories that we create and we share and the struggles that we overcome are the meaning on a personal level even if the universe doesn't care like we can care um yeah and like even in the end how she like makes up with Deirdre and stuff and right and so it just seemed like it was that like love is the answer even if there's no love in the universe yeah i think that's a really good take on the movie that kind of encompasses like i guess the thoughts that i was trying to say on it it's just a more concise and better way to say it i am usually better at like most things than you so you want to go there no i'm too afraid (laughs) i'll like poke you with uh taunts but uh i'm too afraid to like get to uh uh, see i've uh all of a i uh i peaked in my putting thoughts into words and now uh now i'm mentally exhausted so (laughs) there will be no more coherent ramblings from me well just more Sounds like this. <laughs> well, while you're still semi-coherent, are there any other thoughts about the movie that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um. So this movie was, was it produced or distributed or what's by A24? Like, uh, like that's before the production this movie, company. Before this movie, I did not know anything about A24. I didn't know that it existed. Um. And since this uh, seeing this movie, I have heard a little bit. I've come to know a little bit about A24, that they like have produced other really good movies, but I don't know what those movies are and I don't know like what they're currently up to. Like, are there any other A24 movies that you've seen? Um, I don't know if I've like seen, but I've definitely heard. Let me look. Um, okay, Midsommar was one of them and like Hereditary, which are horror movies that i know people love but like i don't know horror just like isn't my genre you know those were both ari aster right the same guy who did uh Bo's afraid that just came out yeah i think so was and Bo's then, afraid also a24 yeah and then uncut gems ladybird um the lighthouse oh i saw ladybird you did yeah i think during the pandemic oh yeah i never saw that one but i want to um i don't know there's just like a lot of movies that i've heard a lot of people say good things about um what was that one horror movie with um Anya Taylor-Joy in like the 1600s or whatever The Witch? Yeah, I think that one was A24 too. I guess they've just done like a lot of horror movies and I just like don't watch horror unless like my sister is watching it with me. So Speaking of horror, I'm kind of like on the edge considering whether or not I want to watch the Evil Dead um franchise. Because the first one, I think the maybe the first one or two were Sam Raimi. And, like, I love Sam Raimi, Spider-Man. I, like, I 
might be controversial hot take, but I really enjoyed the Sam Raimi Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange. Yeah, I liked that one and too. And I heard that that was very similar to his directing like style on the Evil Dead, like his like Raimi campy horror. Um, and there was the new Evil Dead that just came out, which I heard was very very good, like probably the best horror movie of the year. And it's like I don't watch a lot of horror, but I'm like I'm I I'm like cautious but interested in maybe potentially getting into more horror movies you know but i'm a scaredy cat so (laughs) yeah you're a huge scaredy cat i i just don't see you being able to watch them (laughs) because you get scared so easily oh uh the whale was also another a24 wow what a year for a24 then and the lobster have you heard of that one no okay yeah so, I mean, like, they've put out a lot of movies that I've heard, but the only one that I've really seen is uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Life After Beth. That's another one. The Spectacular Now. Spring Breakers. Do you remember that one? I haven't even heard of that. Oh, it it came out in 2013, and it's just, like, four college girls running around in bikinis with, like, a drug dealer or something. I don't know. Played by James Franco. And then, like, the f- one of the four college girls was Selena Gomez, and it was kind of like, it was like back in the era of when Disney Channel stars felt like they needed to do something um, risque to, like, break their Disney Channel image. And so that was, like, Selena Gomez's thing, it was, like, being in the Spring Breakers. All right. Have there been any Disney Channel stars that haven't done that? Like Zendaya. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like the recent ones, like Olivia Rodrigo. I forgot Olivia Rodrigo was on Disney. She still is. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. You said Olivia Rodrigo. I was thinking Wednesday. Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega was also on Disney. Oh, yeah. She was too. Um, yeah. I feel like the more recent ones, like, haven't, because I feel like Disney hasn't controlled their image as much as they did for, like, Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez and, um, Demi Lovato and like that era of Disney Channel star, you know. I wonder if Disney Channel stars are even a thing anymore with like the decline of cable television. You know, like I don't know, I don't know what it would like. I guess we will find out when we have kids. But I just I wonder what like how prolific prolific Disney Channel shows are to people to the kids growing up right now with streaming services rather than television yeah that's true i mean i feel like there will always be like those like teenage it girls you know but it it won't be the same as like the disney channel era you know what i mean i am one i'm jealous like kids growing up right now they can watch their like kids shows in like order and get like a whole story like yeah whereas like (laughs) i would like I never saw a full season or a full like show of any of like Hannah Montana, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, That's So Raven, um, none of them. Like I would just there's like the three or four episodes that like every day I would see like reruns of, and I would be lucky if I turned on the TV and saw a new episode that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think like the only time that I would follow some sort of cohesive plot is like when they would do like the big events of like the the crossover crossover episodes and stuff you know yeah i think the only like show that like would have had like a through storyline that you could like follow was gravity falls yeah and i and i watched that one on streaming services yeah i didn't 
I like I saw a few episodes here and there of Gravity Falls on Disney Channel and the episodes like were self-contained enough that they were fun, but there was also like the hint that like there's a bigger picture that you need to like watch more episodes to like get and I just like was confused. Yeah, which by the way, Gravity Falls is a solid 11 out of 10, and if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it right now. Okay, I think it is time for us to wrap all right. In Mandarin. Chi Okay. 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 No, rap W R A P, as in that's a rap. All right. Take it away, Baobe. Here's a question that I actually don't know. So Baobe means like babe or baby in like Chinese. But I don't know. I, I, I literally like Sydney and I like refer to each other as Baobe. Like we it was originally like sarcastic, maybe like iron like ironically, but now it's like we refer to each other as Baobe like Completely like unironically. unironically, yeah. Like, but I don't know if that like is a thing in Chinese, or if it means more of like a baby in the literal sense. But, but like also when I ordered those packages on Taobao, it referred to the package as like need the bao bei, like which your I was baby. Like, yeah, like I like your like precious item. Like, so I like like if you're a native speaker of Chin- Chinese, like let me know like what the like colloquial usage of Baobei is. Okay, I just Googled it. And on this article entitled 35 Chinese Nicknames for Lovers, Friends, and Strangers, it says the nickname Baobei literally means treasure or precious thing. And by calling your other half Baobei, it it shows just how much they mean to you and that you value them. In terms of tone and cultural context, Baobei is a bit more cutesy than Chinaida, which Chinaida is like deer or... Yeah, um, like beloved. Yeah, beloved. Yeah. So if you are looking for an English equivalent of baby or sweetie, this will be as close as you'll get. Yeah, that fits. Because in English, we call each other sweetheart. So. Yes, which is what I also call you in sweetheart. I think I call you sweetheart and like balbe, like probably the most. I definitely say it more than like your actual name. I call you balbe, fart head, <laughs> and punkadilly squeamus. More than anything else. Yeah, you have meaner nicknames for me just than kidding. I have for you. I, I don't. I have never called you Farthead. That was just a joke. Eh, you've called me it a couple times. I feel like. I mean, I've definitely called You're you. You're gonna f- give me a reason to call you it right now. Well, I've called you Farthead a couple of times. So Farthead McGee and Farthead McGee Junior. No, no, it's Farts McGee. Farts McGee. So in Google Photos, you know how it'll, like save it'll like. The AI will, like, pick out different people and, like, group them together, and then you can, like, give names to them. Mm -hmm. So, my dad, his name is Corbett McKay, and so I called him Farts McGee in, like, my, in my Google photos, and then my brother is Corbett McKay Jr., so then I called him Farts McGee Jr., and I still think it's the funniest thing I've ever done to this day. That just reminded me of the (laughs) fart, (laughs) P-H-E-A-R-T. And they're like, how are you actually supposed to pronounce this? If it's not fart, what is it? And the comment was like, I actually think fart is short for flatulence with a PH. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. All right. It is time for us to wrap. This has been another episode of Thanks for Participating. I've been Josh and my lovely wife has been Sydney. And once again, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Josh is rich separated by underscores or Sydney at Dip Your Chicken. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at TFP underscore pod or at TFP underscore show on Twitter. 
And I guess now that my TikTok is blown up, I should plug my TikTok, which I think is at Spondulix. That's S-P-O-N-D-U-L-I-X. Underscore, I think. Yeah, there might be an underscore after there. Which I know, I'm surprised nobody has asked me, like since my TikTok blew up, what Spondulix means. But if you are here on the podcast from TikTok, I'll tell you right now. I think it is the most clever thing of all time. Because my last name is Rich. I, when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, I just looked up slang for money. And I found the word spongilix, which is an 18th or 19th century slang word for like greenbacks, like just dollar bills or money. I thought you said it was Latin. What? I never said it was Latin. It's, I mean, I don't know. It might be from Latin. I swear you told me it was Latin. It might have Latin roots, but it's definitely like, like uh, if you read. I mean, it sounds very Adventures Latin. of Huckleberry Finn, which I never have. I have. The word spongilix appears in that book like two or three times. I or maybe once. I do don't know. not remember that, but I also spark noted a lot of the end. But it just means like money, cash money. And I thought, that's perfect. Like I like told my friend that uh, I think it was when I was my first job when I was working at Lagoon Amusement Park when I was maybe maybe this was when I was 14, actually. So a little bit older. And I told someone what Spongilix meant and they would be like, that, that, they said that would be the perfect stripper name. And so then that was my <laughs> joke for the next four years was that my stripper name was Spongilix. And then it just kind of like uh, morphed into my online alias. But I think it's clever. And but then it can't be that clever if you have to like explain it like thoroughly. But like my last name is Rich and Spongilix means money. So anyway. Okay. You can also support the show by ordering some podcast merch. The link to our T Public store is in the show notes. You can send mail to participating.podcast at gmail.com. We love to read every email that comes by, and I will try to respond to as many emails as I can. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever app, whatever podcast app you use. Our cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can find him at Vaishan Designs on Instagram. That's V-A-S-H-A-U-N Designs on Instagram. And our music is by Mitch Fry. Find him at Firefry underscore on Instagram. That's F-I-R-E-F-R-E-I underscore on Instagram or Mitch Fry Music on YouTube. This has been Thanks for Participating. And thanks for not putting everything on a bagel. We did it. We made a podcast. We did. We did.